Norwich City are back at the bottom of the Premier League table after a 3-1 defeat at Liverpool. But there is a lot more to this story and that is what we're going to be digging into on the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Davitt. We come to you in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM. And Paddy, if we hadn't spent enough time together in a car this weekend, we just thought we'd meet up digitally for another little chat about it all, didn't we? But uh, I think that my main starting point on this, and I, I've seen quite a bit of social media reaction, which has been more negative than than I expected to this, particularly off the back of, uh, you know, back-to-back games against the two title challenges. And I think that goes down to it, those who were in the stadium, those who were in that away end, really appreciated what they saw in that game. And I certainly feel, and I, and I felt like a lot of people in that away end felt that if Norwich play like that against their direct rivals, they're going to get more wins during this season. Absolutely, yeah. But that element of it may be why, I mean, we're only hypothesising, but why there has been maybe the, the negativity of, well, that's that's the game up. Because clearly it wasn't just the events at Liverpool on Saturday afternoon. It was Burnley winning at Villa and winning handsomely. You know, Watford, oh, sorry, Burnley at Brighton, weren't they? Villa, Villa at Watford. Off. Was, it Watford <laughs> was, it, was, it, was it Watford at... Uh, that's what happens when you spend too many hours inside a car. Hang on, I've got it in front right. of me here. It was Brighton, wasn't it? And Watford yeah, won at Villa. Burnley was 3-0 at Brighton yeah. and Watford 1-0 at Villa. But also, also as well, Newcastle getting a point at West Ham earlier in the day. And they, from the bits and pieces we saw or heard as we were just travelling on, you know, they were more than deserving of that as well. So, I don't know. But for me, maybe if there is that element of Norwich's fan base have almost thought the game, the game is already up and back to the Championship we go... I would, I would have to assume that was more about what other teams have done rather than what Norwich didn't do. Because you're right, you know, we're there, but anybody who was following that game, maybe remotely, couldn't help but think that you know Norwich gave a, a very, very decent account of themselves. And certainly, you know, as Dean Smith said after the game, you know, it took arguably two of the best attacking players in the world in Sadio Mane and Mo Salah, but also a guy they paid upwards of £37 million for in January in Luis Diaz to make the difference. You know, yes, Liverpool made changes to their lineup, but at the top end of the pitch, that's their, that's their blue chip players. That's their gold standard players. And it took those players to step forward and basically overhaul Norwich because as the game panned out, you know, for 64 minutes or so, Norwich... Have got their noses in front and were playing in a manner which felt they could defend that lead as well. So, um, you know, purely on the evidence of what we saw at Anfield, then yeah, unquestionably Norwich have enough games and enough points to play for, and crucially, a lot of the teams in and around them to play um, that that you maintain those levels. Then yes, it's not beyond them at all. But you know. Ultimately, you take a step back and all the positivity is is fine, but no points added to a tally, which is now con- conspiring with other results this weekend to leave them rock bottom. And that feels like a very harsh outcome that they finished this weekend bottom of the pile, having you know performed in the manner they did. But then Dean Smith was open and honest enough to admit that you know Liverpool deserved to win. They carved out far better chances, far more chances. They had far more of the ball, you know. So there's no real qualms that Norwich came up short. But I think when you take the lead and in, in, in the way Norwich were playing, then, of course, you're going to be disappointed. But 
they certainly were very quick, him and Shakespeare, to reiterate immediately after that game to those players that, believe me, there is there is a legacy we can hang on to here at, from Liverpool that, that potentially could still, you know, against the odds, keep Norwich in the division. But, you know, we might get into it in a bit more depth. My concern with that sort of way of thinking is, can Norwich get to the levels they showed for a long a large portion of the game at Liverpool um, for the lesser lights of Brentford and Burnley and uh, you know Leeds even you could throw into the mix not sure because that's a whole different pressure that's a whole different mindset but certainly on the evidence of what we saw at Liverpool yes they they still are there and they're still fighting and uh, I wouldn't be that quick to now say that's it, Norwich are in the Championship and on we go and let's start the planning again for another cycle of trying to get back to the Premier League. We may end up in that position, clearly, given where Norwich are. We're not, we're not stupid. You know, you only have to look at the league table. It does look pretty bleak. But compared to two seasons ago, you know, by this stage, it was pretty much a, a done deal. It certainly was when they restarted in terms of, uh, you know, the, the way they were performing and losing games on the spin. Yes, they've lost the last two, but they've played arguably the two best sides in Europe, probably the two best sides in the world. So, you know, I think there needs to be some perspective and, you know, a a little understanding of, as Dean Smith said before the Man City game, these two don't define their season. Um, So if that's the case, then, then I think why would we, after playing Man City and Liverpool, decide that that's it, game up? Yeah, um, if you look at the table, then yeah, it is a bit scary, isn't it? They're now 17 points, the bottom, so they're still level with Burnley, um, but Burnley have three games in hand um, and, of course, got that win, as you as you say. Watford also getting their first win under Roy Hodgson. They've still got one in hand on Norwich. And Newcastle um, getting their, their draw at West Ham uh, in the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday. So they're five points clear of Norwich in that final survival position and they still have a game in hand on Norwich. Everton have two. So that those games in hand are are, are worrying. Um, Leeds, their game in hand is against Liverpool on Wednesday and that now has become a huge game, hasn't it? And that's what I wanted to, to come on to really before we go blow by blow of the game is that Norwich get that lead early in the second half. There is a lot of frustration around Anfield. They are really worried because they know if they lose that game, that's probably the title or their chances of, of competing with Manchester City for the title are over. Klopp responds with his double six, uh, substitution in the 63rd minute, brings on Origi and Thiago. And although they didn't necessarily make the instant impact, they did they did raise Liverpool's game. And it felt to me like it just was a signal to all the fans in the stand that, come on, we've got to pull together and we've got to get, uh, we've got to turn this around because again, emphasising what it means to be in the stadium, the atmosphere was incredible, wasn't it? When they scored those two goals, the the whole stadium was rocking. Well, literally, I felt, I mean, Tick tweeted at the time when Salah puts them in front with his 150th goal for Liverpool, you know, only only the, the great Roger Hunt had got there quicker than him. Then the noise was actually felt like the stadium the stand we were in was actually moving it was vibrating it was pulsing the stadium was alive and and you got a little maybe sense of what those magical champions league nights are like um mm. that, that comeback against barcelona i'm sure it was that for probably the entire duration that night but um you know we talked a lot 
prior to the game about what needed to happen for Norwich to get a result is whatever Norwich did on their side of the ledger, you know, it would need Liverpool to maybe be a little bit complacent, even if that was only subconsciously, and then take Norwich a bit lighter. You know, Jurgen Klopp makes seven changes, so is he sending that signal as well, both to the players who were playing, but also the fan base, because, you know, there, there was... There was there wasn't the intensity on or off the pitch uh, in the first hour, but by God, they they found it and moved through the gears and, and the, the the surge of power and electricity sparked by Mane and, and Salah was was something to behold. And you know, there's no comeback if you for me if you're a Norwich player who's on that pitch that you you wasn't able to hold back the tie. Dean Smith said after the game, if they just maybe kept kept them out for another ten minutes or so, then you know it would have been very hard for. Them. To, to sustain that intensity for the remainder of the game. And, you know, the frustration may have set in, certainly on the terraces, because it was palpable there. You felt just under the surface in that first hour, given how well Norwich had set their stall out. But it wasn't to be. You know, that's why they are the club they are. That's why they have the world-class players they have, because in those moments, those players step forward and make the difference. And that's why they are who they are and where they are in the table. So... Absolutely nothing for Norwich to reproach themselves for. Yes, of course, and Dean Smith openly admitted the, the manner of those first two goals. Yeah, again, you could look at it from a Norwich perspective and there's things they certainly could have done better individually, collectively, as was the case against Manchester City the previous weekend. But I think you just have to say, you know, it, that they felt the full power of of really almost riling Liverpool and making them angry when Rashica opened the scoring. That's probably the worst thing they could have done, really. They'd have been better off... Uh, Keeping the, the, the sort of the, the, the game tempo very dead and kind of not much in it, and just let the game meander until as late as they possibly could, and then Rashid to the stop pop up ideally in stoppage time because uh, you know there was still forty odd minutes plus stoppage time left, and you always felt as soon as Norwich went in front that the the, the real Liverpool would step forward, and you know as I say that was that was Liverpool at full pelt, full tilt on and off the pitch, and you know crumb of comfort though it is, they needed to produce that because of what Norwich had done. So so Norwich should just hold on to that thought that, you know, maybe those home fans, maybe those home players turned up at the start of that game, thought this would be fairly routine, we'll roll these over. Certainly wasn't the case an hour in. You know, they had to find their absolute best and dig very deep um, to repel what Norwich had produced in, in the intervening hour. So, um, yeah. Wasn't wasn't great to be on the end of it, but it was certainly uh, an experience to be part of it, that's for sure. It really was, and a really entertaining game as well. I almost feel on reflection that it, it shows the standing that Klopp has there, that he's almost now um, sort of, not in terms of the silverware and stuff, but in terms of the control he has of the whole club. He's almost in sort of Alex Ferguson territory. It was, you know, the bosses make, made the double change here. We have to respond as well. And, and the whole atmosphere just twisted immediately. And you, you could feel it coming. And we were just hoping that it, there wasn't a fourth to really add sort of some, some gloss to their um, display, which would have been harsh on Norwich. But by the end, they, they were all absolutely knackered because they'd worked so hard just to, to stay in the game. So let's take it a little bit blow by blow, go through the goals and stuff. Because as you said there, that there were the seven changes. They'd won it 2-0 at Inter Milan in midweek. They'd won their last seven in all competitions. They were coming into it in good heart. And he, he makes quite a, um, it, it's a little bit of a second string team, I suppose, but it's it's still very good. Um, no Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, Diogo Yota was injured and Roberto Firmino as well. Uh, they left Canate, Fabinho, 
Tiago and Harvey Elliott all on the bench. So that meant um, Joe Gomez, Joel Matip and Kostas Simikas coming into defence. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Jordan Henderson and Naby Keita into midfield. And then that man that you've mentioned, Luis Diaz, their January signing, all coming in. So not half bad players to be uh, to be bringing into your team. The one for Norwich uh, was Matthias Norman coming in for Lise Malou, which I think surprised quite a few people ahead of the game. That meant Gilmore kept his place in that midfield three. What did you, as a starting point, what, what did you make of, of Norman's return to, to the starting lineup? Because I felt like, well, regardless of what we saw yesterday, based on what we'd seen in the early months of the season, that if Matthias Norman is fit, then Matthias Norman needs to be starting. And I certainly still feel that after that game. Yeah, I mean, he just confirmed what, what I guess we all feel, having watched him prior to, you know, having to effectively step out of the, the lineup and sort this ongoing pelvic-related issue with surgery, that he is a quality operator and that's on the ball and, and that's off it. And, and, and it's also his attitude as well. My mind always goes back to how pumped he was that, which proved to be Daniel's final stand at Brentford, but it was Norwich's first Premier League win of the season. And, you know, how much buy-in he'd already felt to be part of this group and this football club, that the way he reacted at the final whistle that day was a sight to behold. It was, you know, coursing through his veins. You could see what it meant to him. And and to, to lose that type of character effectively from your changing room in these last two months, because that was his first start yesterday since November the 27th, um, it's been massive, absolutely massive. And and then you overlay it that in, in his absence, Norwich's midfield has never quite felt that whatever mix, whatever formation, that they've had all the ingredients you need with and without the ball to really be effective at this level week in, week out. Yes, they've done it in certain games against certain opponents, but but never has anybody really put their hand up in the absence of Matthias Norman and said, I can do what he did before. So I, I think we saw that again. I mean, it was no coincidence, I felt, that his return to the side coincided with Norwich looking far more cohesive on the ball. Um, the tempo was was where it needed to be um, and and progressive as well. You know, the balls were getting fired forward towards the likes of Rashica mainly, but also Puki as well. You know, it wasn't that kind of lateral movement and building the play and the slow pedestrian nature of some of Norwich's midfield performances without Norman. So, yeah, it, maybe it's a cliche, but he is a bit of a talismanic figure, I feel, now in this side and it's imperative what we've said at the start of this podcast, that if Norwich has to stand any chance, any chance whatsoever of pulling off the great escape, he needs to stay fit and he needs to stay in this team between now and the end of the season because things will happen around him. Um, because we, we've not even mentioned, you know, he, he actually made a goal-saving block as well. There was a Salah header and he had the awareness um, to react, track back onto his line and make that clearance. So as much as you look at him and you think what he can add in an attacking dimension... I don't think you want to underplay as well that, you know, defensively as well, his positioning, you know, um, are all elements that really the ones who've stepped in in his absence haven't really offered. So, yeah, you just hope now that those injury issues are behind him and that, um, you know, he can remain in the side and be a fulcrum of this team as well because with him in it, they look a better outfit immeasurably across the middle of the park. He's a, he's a bit of a leader. And in that first half, when the home crowd were getting a bit restless and stuff, you could hear Hanley and Norman barking orders out. And there was a nice moment, I think that was the second half, when Rashitza tracked back and 
won the ball and and Norman sort of leant over him and was patting him on the back and really sort of shaking him around saying well done you know that that's he's got that sort of attitude of a winner isn't he somebody that really hates to lose and, and things like that and I've taken a closer look at his performance for uh, this weekend's player watch. So have a look at that on Pink and Plus. There is absolutely loads to pack in there. And I think it's fair to say it wasn't the perfect performance because, you know, it was his first start in almost three months. But there was a lot more good than bad, I think, overall from Norman. And just his basic defensive positioning, I feel like McLean, Lise Malou, Gilmore, none of them really have that. Uh, instinct. Maybe Jacob Sorensen was starting to show a little bit of that, that he is more of a defence midfielder, but just little bits and pieces, like he was in the way of a Salah pass in the box. He tackled Cater in the box. He's just offering that bit more protection because he knows where to be. And then, like you say, he can ping the balls around as well. And the early incident was, he very nearly had an assist, didn't he? And sent Rashitsa clean through with a sort of trademark through ball. And, well, interestingly, I'll tee up the two um, the, the contrast here, really, in terms of that one that was disallowed for Norwich, Liverpool held their back line. They played the offside trap, essentially, and it worked. And then when you watch the um, Liverpool equaliser, the Norwich back line didn't work. Max Aarons panicked, didn't he, and chased after uh, Sadio Mane and basically played him and Simakas both on side. And while the other three in the Norwich back line were trying to hold the offside line. So... You know, that uh, both emphasises what Norman I is capable of, but also perhaps just illustrates the, the, the difference between the top level and, and the teams at the bottom. Yeah, and ultimately, I guess that's concentration that that you need, particularly defensively, as a unit to all be on the same wavelength and maintain. It's no good, as Norwich showed, you know, for 63 minutes or so, uh, they were giving as good as they'd taken. Yes, their goal had led a bit of a charmed life on occasion, but by no manner of means was it a parking the bus exercise in that first hour or so. You no. know, they had they had carried a threat of their own. And um, but the game lasts ninety minutes, and the top players will keep coming and keep coming and keep probing. Um, and that, unfortunately, is probably why Norwich are where they are in the table. That over the entire piece, spanning different coaches, of course, and players coming in and players going out. But as a collective, there's there's key ingredients that you need to be successful. And success, obviously, defined for Norwich is staying in this division. And and that ability, when you get to the Premier League level, uh, to, to essentially never let your guard down because the quality of player at this level will punish you. Max Aarons could have probably got away with that in the Championship because they, pro they, they probably wouldn't have had the quality to for the ball to reach Mane and then maybe Mane's finished. You wouldn't really necessarily see that week in and week out. But at this level, more often than not, you will get punished. And and that was frustrating because, you know, as Dean Smith said, and we can come on to the second goal as well, the Salah goal, how that was created and conceived. If if these players put something in the top corner from 25 yards, you, you kind of hold your hands up and say, well, that's, that's just quality. That's just individual brilliance. But... By no manner of means were those two Liverpool goals in that sort of three-minute burst, which effectively decided this game. Um, they were avoidable. They were avoidable with good organisation and individuals doing their jobs uh, and staying concentrated and staying switched on. But maybe that's me being a tad harsh because ultimately, as you put, pointed out earlier, Dave, you know they they were spent by the end of that game. They'd given so much physically, mentally. And it's very hard to maintain those levels of concentration 
when you've effectively, you know, had to go above and beyond, and and maybe there was signs of that starting to creep in in that sort of spell of ferocity from Liverpool, you know, around the hour mark that you know there was already a few players maybe feeling it. You know, we we heard after the game that Rashid maybe not have reappeared after half time. He was feeling a bit under the weather, and you know, there's a few weary players as that game developed towards the end of the of the second half, and uh, so maybe you know maybe. With a bit of context around it, you could you could maybe excuse some of the things we saw, but but ultimately, yeah, that did boil down to that goal, um, a lack of concentration and a lack of discipline defensively. Hell of a kick from Allison as well, though, wasn't it? Um, but I just want to highlight at this point, really, that what a privilege it is to you know, which is part of why people are always excited to be promoted to the Premier League to see a player like Mo Salah, literally one of the best players in the planet. He, he is just a privilege to watch. And to expand that into a Norwich point of view, Brandon Williams early on was was struggling to get to grips with him a little bit, wasn't he? And it you could see he was maybe in for a rough day. But to be fair to Brandon, I thought he adjusted. He learned really well. He actually survived most of the afternoon on a yellow card because he caught Luis Diaz. I didn't need to prevent a, a counter, although it was maybe a little harsh because I don't think he actually meant to make the tackle. But uh, I, I digress on that point. But overall... He he managed to cope with him fairly well, but still, Salah was just so dangerous, wasn't he? Yeah, I think I said to you boys as we left um, the ground that in the time I've been covering Norwich, it, you know, he was in a bracket seeing live Arian Robin when he was in his pomp for Chelsea against Norwich one day, and Henri was the other one. I remember him going up against Craig Fleming way back at Highbury um, in the Worthington a tilt at Premier League. Mm. And they're just on a different level. Those those attacking players are just. It's kind of hard to put your finger on it because there's a lot of very good attacking players in the Premier League now as it was back in that era. But these guys just hover above it. They're on they're on a different plane. And with Salah, it's it's just that that the, the speed of his of that initial sort of drop of the shoulder and how he buys himself a yard or whatever when he comes inside. You know, there was a few examples with Williams, and and he did, to be fair, stick to his task. But there was one with. It was just dancing feet and Williams didn't know what had happened and, and <laughs> Gibson had to come across in the first half and just blocked, I think, the cross shot at his near post. But, you know, just in just his ability to manipulate the ball and his body and, and the rhythm and the fluidity of his movement, he, uh, well, the numbers tell you, you know, 150 goals quicker than luminaries like Ian Rush, Daglish, Robbie Fowler for that club. Um, and you wouldn't really label him as an out-and-out centre-forward the way he plays and where he plays on the pitch. So... He's just a, a very phenomenal, phenomenal player, as as good as there is in the Premier League, and yeah, it is it is a privilege, really, as much as it's a challenge for for likes of Brandon Williams and Norwich per se to to test yourself against these players. But you know, ultimately, they are what they are for a reason, and and he showed that again, and um, you know that's why they are the top players because they do it week in, week out, you know, season in, season out. They're never satisfied. They never rest on their laurels. They never think, I've cracked it. I've achieved. I don't have that hunger or desire anymore. That's why they're the elite players. And he is at the, the very, very apex of that elite category of player. Um, and, and in that context, you know, Williams did do very well. It's worth pointing out that the, the, the goal you, you touched on, that he, that he collected from Allison's booming goal kick and ran on. You know, Williams was up the field. It wasn't that he'd abandoned his post. Norwich had just countered, actually. And I think it was Gilmore had a dig, caught to Dean Smith, yeah. and, and, and Allison had saved. But Williams was again, as he as he was quite routinely in that game, and has been 
in, in recent games, very willing to to get up in support. And as a result, it was Kenny McLean in that left back slot who wasn't able to go with Salah. Um, but you know, ultimately, you just have to tip your hat. Really, that you know, we were we were in the presence of a very special player there. And and ultimately, as I said earlier, you know, the fact that Mo Salah has to come to the party and effectively drag Liverpool out of the mire in, in conjunction with Sadio Mane is a testament to how good Norwich were and that they had to do that. And that it wasn't a, you know, as we've seen too often with Liverpool, a Suarez stroll kind of type of game where, you know, I'll just, I'll just bag a few goals here, get a match ball or two and then on we go sort of thing. No, no, that they will have had far easier games this season in the Premier League of that, I am sure. We live Norwich City. The build-up. The passion. The drama. The last-minute winners. The debate. That's why we've created Pink and Plus. Plus. The app that takes you beyond the headlines. With exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered. Subscribe today. Pink and Plus. Stay ahead of the game. Download now on the App Store and on Google Play. We'll come back to the Norwich goal and, and Rashitza scoring his first Premier League goal. Uh, but Brandon Williams actually sparked that move, didn't he? He won the ball back with an interception and then Rashitza sort of took over from there. But yeah, Salah, just just poetry in motion for me. He's I, I went to an England-Croatia game at Wembley and we were quite close to the front of the stand and we saw Luka Modric up close when I think that was the year he'd been nominated for the Ballon d'Or and things. And just the first touch... And how their head is always on a swivel like Kevin De Bruyne is. And they're, they're just so in control. They don't even really have to look at the ball. And I feel like Salah is stylistically as close to Lionel Messi as we've had in the Premier League. The way that he plays and the way he controls the ball. It was it was really, you know, for a defender, it, it's so daunting to try and stop him. And, you know, if his range had been a little bit better yesterday, he could have ended up with a hat-trick himself. He, he was fantastic. Um Let's sort of from that to to uh, a slightly strange day for Tamu Puki, who was really sort of out of sorts, wasn't he? And just nothing would come off for him. There was that moment in the second half where Norman had made a good interception, played it to him on the left, and then charged down the left wing. And Puki just played it against the back of his back of his heels, didn't he? And Norman turned around and was like, "What are you doing? I, all my hard work's just been wasted." And and just his general demeanour and stuff. And I guess. What we're probably going to focus on here is is the big missed opportunity in in the first half, isn't it? When um, again, Brandon Williams pivotal to it, the ball gets cleared from I think it's a Rashitza free kick or a Gilmore free kick, sorry. And Williams lovely ball into the left channel, Puki sort of trademark the way he takes it into his stride, opens out the opportunity, and he's in behind the Liverpool defence, and then he just fired it wide and. To not be getting it on target, not to be testing the goalkeeper from a Tamer Puki point of view is is quite worrying. But he just it just seemed to completely ruin the rest of his day, didn't it? Yeah, he just lacked sharpness in his in his demeanour, in his thought, in his general play. But that opportunity there, he took that on his left. Now we all know he's he's deadly on his right foot, and and he could mm. have opened up his body. He had the time to open up his body, and then you would have thought he, he certainly would have been able to get it inside the post, as opposed to it was almost a scoff and. Maybe that was symptomatic of where his head was at going into that game. He just looked, and we've seen it a few times, and we saw it 
two seasons ago at this level, it, it looks a bit weary, you know, and um, you know, it's hard. It's, it's hard now. Obviously, post Adam Eder's news on Friday that he's not going to be available for the, the rest of this season. That that I mean, there was a lot of a burden and responsibility on Timu's shoulders anyway, but that's only increased after that news. And you know, he needs to he needs to find find himself um, for these big games coming up because yeah, that that. In a, in a in a very good performance and a lot of very pleasing aspects, that was the one concern really, and not so much against Liverpool, but you know that he needs to be at his razor sharp best. Much like we're talking about, there's elements that need to happen now in terms of now to the end of the season if Norwich are going to achieve what they're trying to achieve, and whether that's Matthias Norman starting games, whether it's Rashid's are now building on that first Premier League goal, but certainly one of those elements will be Timu Puki being able to weigh in with some goals. And, um, you know, we, w- we won't draw too many hard and fast conclusions from an afternoon spent trying to sort of get the better of Virgil van Dijk, given he's, you know, <laughs> as good as anybody in, in his position in world football. So, you know, context again is everything. But, but you know, separating that it was van Dijk and Liverpool, he just, everything he did wasn't quite in sync with maybe what his brain was telling him. And you could see that in sort of the, the tardiness of his general play and, you know, even even his movement, which is one of his attributes, did get him in some decent positions towards the end of the game. There was an opportunity Max cut back to him, and yeah. again, it lacked conviction. He sort of pulled a shot into the side netting, brushed the brushed the near post side netting. That and came it, from a Norman pass, didn't it? Uh, one yeah. of the sort of typical pings. Exactly, yeah. And I think that, although it might have been offside in the final analysis, but the Jonathan Rowe sort of chance when yeah. Allison came out and smothered him, it was just, you know, when he's at his best, he doesn't even think about it. You know, I go back to. Well, the one that sticks in my head is 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 the Watford home game, which I know Lawrence lost. But again, that was Norman clipping the first time ball over the top. He's there's never in his doubt what's going to happen. He just draws Ben Foster's slam near post right foot. Um, and if we'd had that clinical edge and that cunning when he had that big chance when the game was level with Allison to beat, then you know it's a different game. It's a completely different game, and and ultimately. He gets he gets showered with praise and, and everybody saying you know his record is peerless in terms of Norwich strikers and he will be remembered as one of the best Norwich strikers ever and, and obviously probably arguably the best piece of transfer business ever given he didn't, didn't cost a transfer fee but with that comes the other side and when he doesn't quite hit the levels that we all know he's capable of and it is probably why there's a focus on him because everybody knows what he can do in a Norwich shirt when he's at his absolute best even in the Premier League. So, yeah, let's just hope that was just one of them days and, you know, he's got essentially another thick end of a week to prepare for Southampton and, and that we'll see him again, you know, at his at his real best, real best. And, and if he's getting into that level, then I've no doubt whatsoever in this side, the way they're playing now, they'll create chances. If they create chances, you'd still want him to be on the end of them. So, yeah. Um, slightly concerning given given the context of the Adamida season engine injury, but but ultimately I think you know you have to you have to give him always the benefit of the doubt because he always you know answers in in goals and performances, and I'm sure you know he'll be as frustrated as anybody that his performance wasn't the level and, and that chance he didn't really you know he didn't even work Allison. That's the frustration of it. It's not as if he got his shot away and the keepers made a good save. You know just to rather tamely pull it across the far post. Um, you know, that I'm sure would have given him a bit of a sleepless night because that's the type of 
people's strikers are. They do mull on these things, don't they? So I would expect he, he, above everybody else in an orange shirt, will be very keen to come out fit and firing against Southampton on Friday night. Yeah, big time. Maybe he's just taking a little bit of pressure on his shoulders too much. Maybe he's thought about the fact that, you know, Edie being out now means he's really got to do it and he was just a bit too anxious. But Smith took Sargent off at 2-1, didn't he? And brought on Pujeta on the right. And that surprised me. I thought with the way Puki was playing, you'd have been better pushing Sargent up uh, and bringing Pujeta on. But, um, well, I'd have probably gone for Rowe ahead of Pujeta, to be honest, um, who, who did nothing when he came on, really, did he? And that sort of, as an aside, really, before we move forward, it shows that there is a, there is an issue, obviously, with, with Ida being out. Um, if Pookie got injured, then they really they would have no choice but to play Sergeant at top on his own, would they? But one one name that a lot of people are, are talking about is Christos Jolis, isn't it? And he travelled to the game. He was there. They decided they'd rather have Kabak on the bench for that added sort of defensive cover. Um, it sounds like he will probably play on Monday when the under-23s play Aston Villa, doesn't it? And so perhaps they've just taken a little bit of a, a, a long-term view with him that they need to get him up to speed um, because... Pojeta isn't really making much of an impact. If you had Jolis able to do something on the right wing, then you would have some options to be able to use Sargent further forward, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And ultimately, not for not for these two games we've just come through, because Dean Smith was never going to empty the midfield and give those teams a numerical advantage. But prior to uh, this upturn in results was essentially founded on actually going very bold and and four attacking options. And clearly the two of those centrally were Eder and and, uh, and Timu Puki. So for these these games against teams and ultimately games that Norwich need to win, it won't be enough really to grind out a few draws. That isn't going to make up the lost ground that they're, they're trying to currently uh, rectify. So if he wants to play those four-pronged again, then it's got it really has to be Sergeant in the Eder role, which then clearly would open up a slot on the right-hand side of you know, that, that Norwich attacking quartet. And if there is a vacancy, then Jolis should be in the debate, as should Wajeta, as should John Sargent. Uh, sorry, John Rowe. And John, Johnny Rowe, actually, of those three, I think he, he and Dean Smith said is probably, well, maybe yeah. not Wajeta, but, but certainly with, with Jolis, if you just pair it down to two very young men, I think John Rowe is ahead of him in Dean Smith's mind. And, and clearly, again, he... A, he's on the bench, but B, he throws him on towards the end. And he was asked, actually, about that specific thing with Jonathan Rowe and, and getting a, a, another taste of what it's all about on such a grand stage as Anfield. And Dean Smith's reply was, he deserves it because of what he's showing us in training. We're really impressed with him. And by implication, Jollis was fit and available, we understand, but isn't making a match day squad. He's not delivering the, to the same sort of benchmark that Jonathan Rowe is, hence why Rowe is ahead of him in the pecking order. So... But having said all that, if Dean Smith, hypothetically, maybe not Southampton, but but maybe some of the, the home games to come, you know, Brentford, for example, if he wanted to go with a four, and it means Sargent plays down the middle with, with Puki and Rashid is a, obviously shoeing on the left-hand side, then is he that bold to go with Jonathan Rowe from the start? I don't know. I mean, uh, Dowell, I guess, would be in the conversation as well. But mm. But there's no doubt the way this could shape up, there is a vacancy on the right-hand side. And right now, you know, there isn't really a leading candidate. So that that's the, the intriguing element of what we might be looking at in, in the games ahead. Um, because really, as, as we've discussed, you know, if he wants to put somebody in and around Timu Puki, you can do that maybe back to goal, 
the aerial presence, the physicality, um, then there's only one show in town and that'll be Josh Sargent. So um, that's really intriguing. And I'm sure that's something that is occupying the mind of Smith, Shakespeare and Bramley as we speak. Indeed. And I think the one thing that's been quite impressive with John Rowe is that he's got a little bit of um, a strength to him and he's willing to get stuck in defensively. I suppose that that's an enthusiasm of youth and him being excited to get on the pitch and things. But he, he has worked defensively. As you say, he set up that opportunity for Pukki. I, I don't think he's too far away from maybe getting a start, but maybe it, from a Norwich wider perspective, it's a better thing that he doesn't because they don't need him to almost, if you see what I mean, that, you know, they click into gear a little bit and they don't need to take that sort of a of a risk. But I really like him. He's, he's a tricky lad, really skillful player. And from what we saw of him from the under 23s, you'd, you'd think that he was an out and out striker with his goal scoring record, but he, he's not really. He is more of a, of a wide forward from what we've seen of him. But I suppose he's still so young that you can kind of sculpt him into, into whatever you need him to be. So, yeah, lots of interesting things to to monitor there, really. And, you know, Southampton are going along well as well. So that I think that's nine, uh, that they've only lost one of their last nine in the Premier League. They beat Everton 2-0 on, on Saturday. So that's going to be uh, going to be a tough one. But anyway, before we look ahead, just quickly, um, you mentioned Van Dyke. He had a goal ruled out for offside just before halftime as well. It was actually Jordan Henderson who was offside. There was a shot from Cater, I think it was. And Henderson just narrowly offside. I think Norwich might have... Not got lucky, but I think the VAR officials could have interpreted it. There was only a marginal one and and not a clear and obvious error or something. But um, they did rule it out, so we didn't have to worry about it. And then that goal, which was a lovely moment, wasn't it? In front of the the away fans, 48th minute, Rashitza, as I say, Williams wins the ball back. Rashitza spreads it to Sargent. He can't get a shot away. Eventually checks back and gives it to Rashitza, who bursts away from Oxlade-Chamberlain, tries his luck. Joel Matip hangs out a leg and the ball loops around Allison and where we were sat in the press box as soon as it got that deflection we knew it was in didn't we and uh, we're just sort of laughing about what might be unfolding in in front of us and Kenny McLean's whirring his arms in the air and everything the away ends going mad it was a lovely moment wasn't it and just just for that little um, what 15 minute spell we were all just starting to dream a little bit about what what could be and maybe what, what was it the first uh, that they, they hadn't won since 1994 at Anfield but that that weight goes on. Yeah, which again underlines how rare those moments are for Norwich against the elite, if you want to call them that, away from home particularly. And uh, yeah, dare to they certainly were daring to dream those two thousand or so away fans. And uh, there's some great pictures as well that we're fortunate where our camera positions were. We were right right down the pipe, as it were, of those celebrations. And you could see the joy on the Norwich players' faces. That yeah, they're good. You know we've. You know, not only have we we held our own here, we've now got our noses in front. We've got something to cling on to, but at risk of repeating what we've said earlier, it, it really just did rile Liverpool on and off the park into a, a quite ferocious response, and it, and it did prove too much, sadly, in the final analysis. But but on a purely personal level, through a sheet, so that could be big. I mean, talking to the celebrations, there looked to be a lot of emotion, maybe even relief that he'd finally got that Premier League goal. I'm sure he's been desperate for it. You know the the worldwide exposure of the Premier League. And I think we're safe to say he's the first cost to score in the Premier League. That's a proud moment for him and his country. And that will reverberate all the way back home, I'm sure. And, and he must have been aware of that. And, you know, for him, he certainly has deserved a goal because, uh, you know, by by some measure, he looks Norwich's best in terms of overall attacking option this season. And certainly since Smith came in the building, he makes things happen. He has a quality on the ball, um, a drive, a directness as well, 
he should have had more assists, but that's not down to him, clearly. But, but you know, I, I think back to some of these recent games where he's carved out chances for Ida and Puki and a few others, and they haven't taken them. So his assist count could have been far healthier than it already is, and it's going in the right direction. But what he did need to add and does need to add is, is those goals as well, particularly as we've just come off the back of discussing the burden on Timu with no Adam Eder and if if that is the case, then you do need players to chip in and, and he would be, because he has the quality, the, the one you would immediately spring to mind and think, yeah, he's capable of scoring goals in this league and he, he needs to do that now. And uh, let's just hope if there was any sort of burden he was carrying around that that's now lifted and, and that weight is off his shoulders and we see him just continue in the same vein because he's clearly enjoying his football. You can see that. How he's expressing himself on the pitch is really feels at home in this Norwich side, but maybe in the Premier League now. And it does take, you know, each new player who comes in from a different league, different country, they all vary in terms of the time it takes them to adapt. And, and maybe there was an element of that with him. But he looks he looks like he knows what it's all about now. He, he understands the, the, the demands on him in that role, both with and without the ball. And, um, and Smith certainly believes in him. And there's no doubt now that, you know, if that unlocks a bit of goal-scoring threat from him, then... Again, Norwich are going to be in a in a position where this isn't over, that they still can have a say and a major say. Absolutely. Uh, well, I, just to close on the game, then I just wanted to give a mention to Grant Hanley as well. I thought he had a really good game. I thought he really showed a lot of leadership and maybe in the end they conceded those three goals and it doesn't look great on the defence. And like we said, with Max sort of losing his way during the the equaliser, but Max as well, three or four very important headers away. Angus Gunn, although... Or he's going to get a bit of criticism, maybe even the, the third goal from Diaz perhaps didn't need to charge out quite as much as he did either. But he made quite a few saves and was, was a busy boy and was trying to command his penalty area and things like that to, to maybe a little bit of mixed success. But I feel like every every Norwich player really could come off the pitch and at least feel that they'd get given that a really good go and, and, and represented the club pretty well in, in tough circumstances against undoubtedly one of the best teams in the world who let's not forget, are still on course for the quadruple now. And thanks to Manchester City's result as as we were driving home down the M6, thanks to Harry Kane's late winner, there is very much a title race back on now, but they're still in the Champions League. They've got the League Cup final coming up. And of course, Norwich go back there in, what, 10 days time for the FA Cup fifth round, um, which is um, lovely. It'd be interesting to see how many Norwich fans make the uh, make the journey for that one? Because that's live on ITV as well, isn't it? So, uh, eight fifteen kickoff on a Wednesday night. But um, just to close with them, Paddock, suppose just to look ahead to that Southampton game Friday night. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a tough one, isn't it? Because they're as we're recording, they're they're up to tenth. They've had a real resurgence under Ralph Hasenhutl. I don't think they're really going to be considered to be in the relegation mix. But we know that they've got some some real good attacking players, some very, very decent Premier League squad and they've been able to invest a bit of money and stuff over the years. So I don't think this is really one where obviously we're all hoping that the Brentford and the Newcastle and Burnley home games, they're the ones that Norwich really should have a crack at winning. But I'm not sure we can really travel down to the South Coast on Friday with the mindset of that being a game that Norwich should be expected to be taking points from. No, but, you know, ultimately now... If you want a roadmap to to get to whatever you feel is the total of points, then the games are beginning to run run out now. And and, and as Dean Smith said, for prior to Man City, no free hits. That every game they have to target points. 
you know, it's interesting. They are on a decent run, but you know, that home win against Everton on Saturday, um, you know, they've only had two home wins in the league since November the 5th, funnily enough, when they beat uh, a Dean Smith Aston Villa, which I think did for him, didn't it? Uh, pretty much was that the weekend. Yeah, the that was the start there. of the international break, wasn't it? So you can be, you can rest assured he'll have some extra motivation on a personal level because uh, that more or less sealed his fate. But yes, they are drawing a lot of games, which, you know, clearly underlines that they're a very difficult team to put away. But there is an opportunity there. If you look at, you know, the raw data, you know, two home wins since the start of November. Well, Norwich have probably mustered that as well. So, but they do look on an upward curve. And, and yeah, by no means is it any, for me, anything that drops below the Liverpool levels isn't going to be good enough because they are on a good path. And where they are in the table now, they may feel... If they finish the season strongly, they could just nab one of those European spots, you know, seventh, eighth. You just don't know how deep it will go in terms of qualification. That would be a very big carrot for them. And, uh, you know, Hassan Hootel is a manager who's been there for quite a length of time now. We talked at the outset about Klopp and him putting his imprint on all aspects of the football club, maybe less so with Hassan Hootel, but it clearly feels that that's very much his his squad and the DNA that he wants is in those players and you know no real superstars but a very good cohesive unit and and the results tell you that you know there's not many better teams in terms of results over the last nine or ten games in the Premier League but to finish for me I mean Southampton was Dean Smith's first game in charge and and for 45 minutes he was probably thinking why have I taken this job because Southampton were excellent at Car Road really, really ran over the top of Norwich, you know, particularly down the left-hand side, their left-hand side. Livermento was it on the day. He was excellent. Yeah. Um, all sorts of problems. Dean Smith reacted. Josh Sargent came on. A player called Todd Campbell came off. Funnily enough, that was the day that we first saw Rashica operating on the left-hand side. He switched him at half-time to there and he hasn't looked back. Neither did, Nor- neither did Norwich in that game. And worth reiterating, it was a midfield free of Norman, McLean and Gilmore that day who really, um, were excellent, as were Norwich in that second half. So I think Dean Smith will be tapping into those memories, recent memories, and um, I think they'll fancy it. I I honestly can see them getting a result um, as good as Southampton are at the minute. Uh, They're not Liverpool, they're not Man City. They don't put teams away routinely at home, judging by the results. So, yeah, I I think Norwich can go there with confidence and, and can get a result. But in order to do that, they're going to be have to be better in those key moments than they have been over the last two games. For all the positivity that will accompany them coming out of the Liverpool game, there are concerning elements still in terms of the goals they're conceding and, and they'll need to tighten up because Southampton will test them. They will inevitably have good spells and Norwich need to be able to sort of ride through those. And, and you feel with Norman inside, with Rashica, hopefully Pookie's back to what we know he's capable of. They'll get chances and they'll take take one or two of them chances. And then, you know, then the ones to, to bring it full circle who maybe have already decided game over, they might have a rethink. Well, one man who will be desperate for a clean sheet is Angus Gunn as he goes back to his former club where he kind of took the brunt of that awful result against Leicester, the 9-0, didn't he? Which almost seemed a little bit unfair, particularly when you look back on the goals as well and that they were down to 10 men early that night in the absolute pouring rain and stuff against a, a Leicester team who were in a good place at the time. So 
he will be absolutely desperate for a good game that night, as as I have no doubt Nor- Norwich will. And and of course they can get a result there. They can. Um, Southampton are in are in a good place, but I do feel that these three games, Brentford home, Leeds away, I think pro- Norwich probably need a minimum, bare minimum of four points to still be in the hunt, really, to still have a fighting chance. And if there's going to be a, another surge, because they've almost got to build another another resurgence now, haven't they? And because of the way the fixes have fallen, then I think they probably need six. And one way or another, they have really got to take these three games and take it by the scruff of the neck and really try and, you know, word, words are cheap. It's all about actually getting points on the board, isn't it? And I think we all, we all can see that, Things have improved under Smith, that they have got potential. Um, but as you say, 13 games left. They've got to start doing it now. Pad, thank you very much for your thoughts. Thank you all very much for listening. We'll continue all the build-up to that Southampton game, which is Friday night, um, a televised encounter. And I just want to close with a little bit of audio from Brandon Williams. I had a chat with him on Thursday, ahead of the Liverpool game at the club's fan hub. They were doing a sort of half-term event uh, to Pink and Plus subscribers. You will hopefully have already read or watched this interview, um, but we just wanted to open this up to everyone um, now just to give you a little bit of an example of the work that we're trying to bring regularly in terms of regular interviews. Pad spoke to Tim Closer not too long ago. Um, I spoke to Aston Oxborough. We've had loads of um, exclusive interviews. Most of the stuff on there is is exclusive to our subscribers. Things like Chris Sutton's column, Ewan Roberts, Chris Gorham, The Analyst, which is a new piece of uh, content from us. So, um, yeah, if you've not checked out Pink and Plus already, then please do. It's only one ninety nine a month and you get your first 30 days for free. Um, it's a much uh, more enjoyable experience, shall we say, than our websites no adverts and all that sort of stuff cluttering things up no uh, no things loading to sort of distract you from uh, from the article you're reading but for now we'll we'll close the podcast with a little clip from that interview with brandon williams and thank you very much for listening brandon how you doing then player of the month for january how much do you feel like you're sort of settling into life at norwich city now yeah i'm really enjoying it at this time in this moment and uh, i just want to keep that going and I'm really settled now, feel comfortable and I'm just ready to push on for the rest of the season. The, uh, there was a nice moment in Saturday's game, wasn't there? I know it wasn't a great day overall, but when you won that ball back from Silver and set up Tamer, you got a really big chance. So it feels like the fans have really taken to you. Yeah, definitely. I, I play off that. I play, I play off the fans and whether it's the fans that are against me or fans that are with me, then I, I like both sides of it and it really gives me the um, encouragement to keep driving forward. Yeah, that's uh, apt ahead of this weekend. The United boy going to Anfield had a little bit of a taste of it from the City fans on uh, on Saturday. You expecting a frosty reception, shall we say? Yeah, I'm there to do a job, though. I blank all that out, and I don't really care what what place I go to or what team we face. We have confidence that we can get a result. It's nice that you were alongside me though today at this this event. It feels like you two have struck up a bit of an understanding, and part of that to me looks like the fact that Milo is very much willing to, to track back and stuff that you're a bit of a team yeah definitely I do mourn him a lot for not tracking back sometimes <laughs> he don't track back he um, can be lazy but no me, me and Milo are very close even even off the pitch we, we always spend time a lot of time together in the changing room and we're always speaking and joking and laughing and yeah we have a, we have a good combination I was interested to see uh, Boxing Day wasn't the best day for you was it there was a few bad moments did that feel like a sort of a turning point or anything for you because from the start of January it's, it's it just feels like everything's been going in a, in a much better rhythm for you with things. Yeah, I think it's just that time of settling in, being away from my family. I've never done this before. I've never been at a club or anything. So I think it was just getting used to everything and 
obviously I may I may not have been 100% fit as well but right. but that's no excuse but now I just feel fully 100% and I'm ready to go like I said for the end of the season um, there's a little bit in the papers today about Ralph Rangnick saying that he's been impressed with you and things like that and that he had a little word of you at, at Carroll Road um, is there much you can tell us about that I chat at all I, I, think, I think that's false stories I don't know I've seen that today and I, I did speak to him but it was just um, a high, high moment and stuff so I'm not too sure about that but you've got a long term contract and stuff United, haven't you so you're 21 you, you came you said it yourself haven't you you came here just looking to get that sustained run of games and that's what you're getting isn't it so this is everything that United wanted from you yeah definitely that's what I came here to do I came here to to also show United um, that, that I'm capable to play in the Premier League at, at such a high level and to, to last a full season and also here I've, I've, I've got connected to the club and I really enjoy it and I'm passionate about the club as well Yeah, I've got to ask you about the Everton game the assist and then the celebration after the assist that was another big moment with the fans did you just sort of lose your head for a second? Yeah it's just one of them where you just it's just you, you can't explain it until you're in the moment I'm sure the fans in the in the stands also feel that moment but they're in they're in a tight space and we just like to get all that energy out and it's just we know how how good we are as a team and when we can show how good we are then then it, it really, really means a lot to us because we know that we can get results from other games that we that we haven't managed to get results from, like the the Wolves game at, yeah. at Carroll Road. I thought we, we could have got a result there in these many different games where maybe we could have got results, but that's not gone our way and we we hope to, to get more results now until the end of the season. How hungry do the Everton and Watford games make you all then to, to feel that again? Because it has been a tough season at times, but they were great moments, those two games, weren't they? Yeah, definitely. I thought the stadium in... The Everton game was, was really electric. It was really, really good. It's the, it's the best atmosphere I've, yeah. I've heard there. And um, even the Watford game, the, the fans was... It felt like we was at home with, with the fans. And they just need to really, really notice that when they're like that, then it, it, it really helps us as a team. It's an extra man, to be honest with you. Yeah. Your game, you sort of said that now you're feeling more set and stuff. Where are sort of the next areas you're looking to improve? You got the assist there and stuff like that. Where, where do you think your next steps are? Yeah, I want to go. I want to go for the club. I want to score, and I also just want to keep adding to my my assists as well, and just keep doing things that are positive, and obviously keeping the clean sheets, which is very important. But I want to, I want to um, be be in the attacking play and be among them assisting goals.